Hello, and welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I am your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend, Michael Wifford. Hello! So today, we are getting into Sandman, Episode 3. Dream a little dream of me. Like Mike just said, Dream a Little Dream of Me is the name of the title for the episode here. It's also the title of the third issue of Sandman. So, again, I mentioned this in the last episode here, but the first several here are borrowing the episode titles directly from the comics in order, starting at the beginning of, of Season 1, um, going from Issue 1 all the way up through around like um, Episode 5 or 6, I think, is where the changeover happens, where it's not going to be sequential anymore, but we'll get to that. So, <laughs> anyways... Uh, before we get into Dream a Little Dream of Me, just going to give out the reminders here. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, at Fantasy Rewind. You can find us on Instagram, at Fantasy Rewind Pod. And you can email us if you want to avoid all of that social media nonsense and get at us more directly with Pod at gmail.com. Alright, so jumping right into the content here. For episode three of the Sandman, Mike, what were your general thoughts of this episode? It was good. Uh, I really like that we got some additional characters in terms of the new Raven, Matthew, who I will. I've already been, as I said, planning out a little deep dive on his character and kind of comic history because it's really interesting. Um, We got to meet Matthew and we got a lot more with the Burgess son or Jonathan Cripps or Jonathan Burgess, whatever name you want to call him, who also has a very interesting um, history within comics as well. So I really like that we got those characters introduced in this uh, episode, but uh, I was a little, little let down. I wanted a little bit more of the horror element, and we'll talk about this more as we go through in this episode, but overall, good. As with everything in this series so far, overall, everything has been great. I just just a, I just wanted a little bit more of that horror, which, again, I'm not somebody who likes that at all. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it was just so funny. But the Sandman does it in such a great way that it's almost part of it, and it almost needs it, right? It needs to have a little bit of spookiness. And this one, this episode, like, I was expecting some, and it just uh, didn't deliver. But it's okay. See, I almost disagree with you because, like, this is my favorite episode of the season so far. And, you know, getting in right here, I think we definitely get some horror at the end, but we'll get to that part uh, when we get there. Um, Well, yeah. I will say, though, like, just starting off here, this episode, there was one part of it that did disappoint me, and it wasn't Mm. the lack of horror in here. It was the gender swapping of John Constantine to Joanna Constantine. And the reason behind that is because I like John Constantine a lot. He's one of my favorite DC characters. So like so cool. The fact that, you know, they that this is made by Warner and they chose not to use him for one reason or the other was a little disappointing to me because I do like him so much as a character. We haven't even discussed like the pronunciation of Constantine. Constantine. Yeah, they They call him Constantine in the show, but I've always said Constantine as well. Me too, so, yeah. And I guess Neil Gaiman or somebody, there was an article, I didn't read it yet, but it, somebody was talking about that. So 
it'll be interesting to see their reasoning behind it. Um, also, too, they may just have wanted to avoid any of the DC connections. Yeah, I, that's just because the state of that um, <laughs> that universe is right now. It's it's in decay. It's, all over the place. it's in the state of the dreaming, which right is so now. unfortunate. Yes. Which is so unfortunate because it's such a it has so many cool characters and yeah where I don't need to go off on a DC tangent. But yes, yeah, so that was the one thing I was a little bit disappointed with about this episode here. But at the end of the day, it's not the biggest deal. Um, so talking about what we see in this episode here, we see Joanna Constantine coming out, uh, going to this church, and she encounters someone named Mad Hattie. Who is like warning her? Oh, you know the Sandman's coming after you. He he has business with you, and you're just like, okay, crazy lady. Like, what are you talking about here? Who who even are you? But of course, if you've read the Constantine comics and stuff like that, or like the Hell uh, Razor comics, I think it or not Hell Razor was it? Some Hell Blazer comics. Yes. Then you would uh, be more familiar with Matt Hattie. Um, but anyways. So no sooner does she say this than Joanna turns around and right there is Dream waiting for her. Yes. And I want to pause right there because there there was one little piece just before that um, where we had it starts off with Joanna showing up at this place, driving up to this uh, like weird building. It was kind of like a discotheque almost mm. and going in and like, talking to this little girl and going, uh, you know, slapping this her dad upside the head because he was doing some kind of satanic rituals and then going into this door and then it sort of fades out, right? Yes. And so this is actually one of the one of the more famous scenes of like Constantine's tortured past where like he, as we see later on, um, Joanna loses Astra to this demon, to this hellgate that was opened up by her father um, and everything. And so, like, this is one of, like, the, like, stereotypical, like, don't mess with magic because it's going to bite you in the butt situations. And it's the haunting moment that has been causing Constantine uh, nightmares for a while. And basically, it's uh, straight out of the comics, just altered a little bit. And, uh, but getting back to... Uh, Joanna running into Dream here. Dream basically is like, I have business with you, Constantine. And she's like, get in line. You know, I got my own my own stuff to deal with. And the one thing I really did like was, although they gender swapped John for Joanna here, the attitude is still the same. Like, the cheeky British accent. Um, like, the attitude as well. The one right. thing that was missing was the constantly smoking cigarettes, which is totally fine. I am cool with that being gone because, yeah. Um, it's and then also, we meet Matthew. Yes, we meet Matthew the Raven, who I actually was not expecting him in this episode. Um, I wasn't either. So it was I a little, it, little early for, for him as far as what little I know. And he's not Correct. in episode, or sorry, he's not in issue three of the comic from which this is based on. Correct. But... He provided. I think some they cool added him relief. to bring a little bit of humor yeah. and to lighten things up because I don't. His voice. The, I need to. Look I know up the, voice the voice actor. actor. I don't know so who it familiar, is. So familiar, right? Yes. And I was just like, it's so funny because like his voice coming out of that body. Oh, the bird <laughs> body. So yeah, I know it's so good. Um, but he he's he's funny because he's just like, oh, like you're talking to me, and she's gone. 
<laughs> you need me. Patton Oswalt, like, that's who it is. Okay. I know exactly who Patton Oswalt is. Um, I rec- would recognize him if I saw him, and like his voice sounded so familiar, I just could not place it without seeing the name there. Um, but yeah, so Constantine goes on into the church and basically meets this uh, female priestess there who is like, hey, we got an exorcism to do. Uh, are you down to exorcise a princess? <laughs> and this plays back to the nightmare of slash memory that Constantine was having where uh, where she lost Astra because because of that trauma that she suffered there, uh, she did not want to have any involvement with the royal family, did not want to have any involvement with people that basically could come back to bite her. And we see here that she's like, you know what? I'm here. The demon's here. Let's get it on. Yeah. Uh, so what were your thoughts of this scene here, Mike, where the actual, like, exorcism taking place? Oh, I thought it was cool. I thought that was so cool. Because, like, you know, she's sitting there, one, doing the ceremony, they're doing it too, and you're like, oh, all right, it's definitely the princess, right? How she's acting. Uh-huh. And then uh, she has him start repeating the words after her, and it's great because she's having him repeat, basically, the exorcism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're just doing it. And all of a sudden, it's just like... Oh, the guy's doubling over. Oh, he's totally the demon. Right. And then all of a sudden you see the hand start reaching out out from his like mouth and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, wow, cool. And then just rips him in half. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah I thought that was really cool. It's such a visually cool uh, effect. Sorry, poor human. Um, <laughs> but you had a demon inside of you, so I don't know what to tell you there. Uh, <laughs> very cool, though. And it's so funny, the nun's just like, all right, let's go, sweetie. Like, <laughs> yeah, not phased at all. They'd be like, come on, come on, let's call you a ride. <laughs> she was funny. I hope she comes back at some point. She was good. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, she's exor- starting to exercise the demon there, and Dream comes in, and he's, like, talking to Dream, and, like, he's going to tell him who took the helm, and Joanna... It's so like, yeah, I don't care. I'm doing my job. Yeah. Whatever to your thing. It's like, doesn't we'll even like respect later. him at yeah. all. Yeah. It doesn't so even dismissive. like respect him at all. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, what were your thoughts on it? No, I thought it was really cool as well. Like, I thought it was interesting how Dream comes in and like at first is like assisting Constantine with the exorcism being like, oh, that demon, I know that guy. That's so-and-so. And he's like, oh no, now she knows my name. Now she can banish me. And so, like, he starts to try to bargain with Dream, and Dream is totally buying it. He's like, yeah, totally, you can have this body. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't care about this human. Like, give me my helm. And Joanna's just like, nah, bruv, we're doing this my way. <laughs> and just yeah. goes in and banishes him. And now that sets up for what might happen next episode where we might see a repeat of that demon or at least see that demon again, maybe. Yeah. Not in hell, but... We'll see what happens. That'll be interesting to see. And it'll be interesting to see why he wouldn't want to go back, I guess, too. Yeah. So, I mean, outside of what we know about, you know, hell. (laughs) I do think it was really interesting, though, because it does, again, this is another reveal about Dream. Like, he cares about duty and, like, you know, the dreaming and his job more than he does about a human's life. Right. That's not his, that's not his duty. That's not his job. So he's focused mm -hmm. on his particular role. And this will come back, we'll come back to this, and we'll even see a slight change by the end of the episode, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really important. 
So we continue going forward here, and we I think at this point we go over and we see a little bit more of uh, the crypts. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we forgot to mention this last episode, and it completely oh, yeah. bypassed my mind. Cain and Abel, uh, at the end of the episode, towards the end, Dream had given them a new egg. A new little gargoyle, gargoyle egg. Yeah. I just wanted to mention Goldie or Irving. Yes. <laughs> Gerving. Yeah. <laughs> Gerving. <laughs> yeah. Stabs him. They they have such an interesting dynamic because, and I'm glad they're doing it that way because that is exactly how it is in the comics. Like yes. anytime Abel says any little thing, Kane's just like dead. You're dead. <laughs> yeah. But, it was really funny because like going sticking with that part for just one more second here, like in the comics, mm-hmm. Kane actually gives Goldie to Abel, as opposed to in the comic or in the show here. Uh, we have Dream actually giving that gift to them to kind of make up for, you know, taking Gregory from them. Um, but getting back to here, something else we for- actually forgot to mention in episode two, which I really, we, yeah, I want to mention this too here, um, was just talking about how well-connected Ethel is and how oh, yeah. Ethel has, like, all these little side hustles where she's, like, an art dealer uh, antiquity artifacts. finder yeah an, yeah an artifact a person and like she has all of these other gigs going on and has used it to like used her youth that she has and her knowledge she's acquired throughout the years to just amass this great wealth that oh yeah she's using full advantage of like you see her having multiple names and like so when she goes in to visit her son jonathan in this episode here uh, you see her, like, giving one of her fake names to the guards, and she's left the name Crips far behind and everything. Um, but, yeah, we learn a lot about her and her son Jonathan's relationship in this episode. And it's very different uh, from what we see between them, those two, in the show versus what we see in the comics here. But we'll Let's stay there that for in a, a minute. Bit. Yeah. Why, don't we, why don't we stay there for you a minute? You want to stay? Okay. Might, yeah. Because I think it's really important to just sort of, instead of going back and forth here with that, let's just focus on that because I sure. think that's going to be good. Um, we see Ethel kind of going into this institution, which ends up being a hospital or mental hospital, which in the comics is not that nice. No, no, no. <laughs> not that nice It's at like all. a dungeon cellar <laughs> where yeah, and almost is. like almost like Arkham Asylum or something, yeah, right? Yeah, I think it is Arkham. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> nice little you know, connection DC Comics there in the comic. But we see her going in and talking to her son. Like, how are you? Oh, medicated, highly medicated and bored. And you're like, why is he medic? Like, at first when he, she's having this conversation with your, him, you're like, why is he medicated? Like, what's, he seems normal, right? Right, yeah. He seems normal. And then over the course of their conversation, as she's, you know, giving up more information, talking with him, talking about the ruby, you see a shift in him. And I thought this was so well done uh, by the actor there. Just sort of that slight madness just started creeping in Mm. about the ruby. Like, uh, he... He just started began. I can do any. I can protect both of us with the ruby. I can dream of a world where there is no Sandman, and I can do this. And like it's he, it shows the fixation on the ruby as they're talking about it. And I thought that was such a subtle way to show that 
craziness. Why he's in here? Because obviously he he done some really terrible things with that ruby. In fact, killing people with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's as we go into um, not the next episode, but the following episode, twenty four seven. There, we're going to see a bit more of that. Hopefully, uh, like the effects and the power of the ruby in this person's hand. And so, like, well, there's a big yeah. difference here, though, between the Jonathan Burgess we're seeing on screen versus the Jonathan mm-hmm. Burgess we're seeing in the comics here. Whereas Mike brought this up earlier, where um, in the comics, Jonathan Burgess is basically, like, this zombified, like, crazy man yeah. who, like, barely looks human. Um, I guess, like, in the comics, he's taken down the Justice League a couple times or, or some other things like that. Yeah, some um, wild stuff, yeah. That's but, what I was saying. In the in the show here, he is portrayed by Professor Lupin from Harry Potter, uh, Mr. David Thewlis. Yes, Yes. and so he was a little bit of an older actor than I was expecting to play Jonathan Burgess here because I was like, oh, you know, he has this amulet; he'll stay young. He doesn't have it, but yeah, that's that's the thing is that he doesn't actually have it, so that's why he's a little older here. Um, but yeah, I thought that the subtle madness as you got more and more screen time with him was definitely interesting and like a, a very nice way to show like, oh, maybe this dude does belong in this asylum. Uh, we'll see what happens with him later on. Um, actually, we know what happens with him later on, but going back but, to... I mean, we'll just, keep, let's just keep, well, let's just stay with that right, for... Yeah, let's we'll just finish, finish off this storyline and then jump yeah. over. So as we go through the episode, uh, Ethel is explaining more and more about what happened in their past. Mm-hmm. Eventually, she's just like, you don't need the ruby. You don't need the ruby to protect you. And then she takes off her amulet of protection. And he's even like, I've seen what people, what's happened when you know, people have messed with you with that. Like, mm-hmm. And we saw last episode what happened to the Corinthian where he got like, like vaporized almost and sent back to the dreaming. Uh, you can only imagine what happened to a regular person. So she's like, but I want you to have this. Gives it to him. And as, you know, as after she gives it to him, she starts to just age rapidly. Yeah, rapidly age. And uh, you see him. He, I don't even think he sheds a tear um, about it. He, he's a little emotional about it at first. But. He's shocked by it, to be honest. Like, he, you can tell he always thought his mother was selfish and, like, would do whatever it took for her to do well. And she was like, what can I do to show you that I only care what happens to you? I don't care about myself anymore. And so she actually, taking that off was like her way of showing, I love my son. I care about my son. I want him to be safe and protected. Here you go. I'm dead now. And you don't need the amulet anymore. Yeah. But we, the way, you know, the way he's talking about oh, it. Oh, he covets Where it. is he going? Where is he going? Right for that amulet. Yeah. And that's going to spell trouble. But so uh, after Ethel gives Jonathan the uh, amulet of protection here, uh, he calls for the guards as she's laying there dying. And one of the guards comes in and, yeah, thinks that Jonathan killed his mother. And uh, that's... To be fair. Yeah, not out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> that's, that's what it looks like. <laughs> but and so... he's just like... He's yeah. like, you don't want to do this. You don't want to hurt me. And so the cop or the guard, like, shoots his gun at him. And then the amulet of protection protects Jonathan and completely eviscerates the guard, like scattering his body and blood everywhere. And Jonathan like picks up the key card in one hand, the amulet of protection in the other, and is just walking down the hallway carrying them 
other guards start shooting at him. And again, same deal happens. Like the bullets kind of like disappear. Their bodies blow up and scatter blood and guts everywhere. And fairly gruesome scene there. Definitely a pretty horrific way to end the episode there. But also shows just how powerful this amulet protection actually is. And that it's nothing to be trifled with. And I have a feeling we're going to see its effects on an endless fairly soon. But we'll see what that actually does. Um, But what were your thoughts on this, like, Ethel Cripps and Jonathan Burgess little chapter of the episode, Mike? I thought it was good. um, Because in the comics, you don't really get too much of an interaction between them. I think you just see, like, she's mentioned, and then she passes away or something. And then he escapes, and he goes... Goes ham. Gets his amulet and he kills people and he's being a zombie horrific person. See, but. I was a little surprised because, like, I thought that we might see Ethel a little bit longer in this season. I wasn't sure, like, how long, but I was not expecting only three episodes of, of her there. Like, really, yeah. two. Really, two, yeah. And she was a cool character, too. So I, I'd agree that is a little upsetting. It would have been nice if there had been more of a. Uh, maybe in a prolonged interaction with him, like she went to see him and then he escaped and then she went and found him and then yeah. had this kind of conversation being like, you don't need it here. You have this instead, like type deal. And it just, that would have really, I think that would have been a little bit more interesting, but I think it was well done. Oh, and for sure. Definitely a well good done. way to, you know, get the plot moving with him. Yeah. That's the one thing I'm really appreciating about the show so far is that everything is like just progressing. There's no, like, Mm -hmm. little pockets we're sitting in right now, which, you know, can be nice sometimes to have those, like, expositional pockets, but she's doing a really good job of providing exposition through conversation, through narration, and keeping that story going forward here. Um, So jumping back, then, to Constantine and Dream here, do you want to pick up the story here? Yeah, so we have Constantine and Dream. Constantine's ha- or uh, Constantine's sleeping, and so Dream finds her dreams and shows up at her place, and that's how he gets back in her presence <laughs> after she uh, escapes from him. And so they're talking, and um, he's like, "Well, you know, I can make your nightmares go away," uh, and, that, and that's him kind of bartering to get the sand back. She's like, "Okay, fine. Let's look at my office." And so he's not letting her out of her sight this his sight yes. this time though, and it's like, okay, I'm gonna go with you. <laughs> and it's just it's really funny, um, kind of their interaction. She's just like you said, has that attitude that doesn't give a crap attitude. Like I'm gonna, uh, I <laughs> just I don't care if you're the Sandman, like whatever. Yeah, what's that? To I don't me? care if you're the Lord of Dreams. Yeah, um, but they are having conversations, uh, some conversations, and it's really interesting because. He, she's like, oh, you know, or he may, he mentions, name drops uh, Robert, or Burgess. Yeah. And she's just like, oh, wait, <laughs> that guy? He said he, he claimed that he had the devil locked up in his basement. And then he's just silent, and she's just like, wait. Wait, that, that was you? you. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. And you can tell that it, that is like still a very sore spot for Morpheus. Yeah. Uh, which I, I like. I like that this is something that's tra- like was traumatic for him, and he's kind of holding on to, you know? Just so. makes you wonder, like, what he's going to do when he finds the people responsible for uh, for that, though. And so we'll see how that takes out, or how that plays out. 
it'll be interesting to see if he actually runs into him in hell. Yeah, ooh, that's, that'd be good. That'd be awesome, actually. Yeah, it would be interesting. Because technically, like, the people that did this to him are all gone. Yeah, very true. But just coming yeah. back to what you were saying where Constantine was like, or where uh, Morpheus was like, oh, you know those nightmares you've been having? I can make those disappear for you. That's actually like an afterthought in the comics here where Constantine helps a dream through all of this stuff. And then as Dream's walking away, uh, Constantine's just like, hey, uh, so I helped you. Would you mind doing this thing for me? Uh, you know, that Newcastle incident. Could you uh, make that disappear? And Dream's like, I got you. So we'll see. Like, I thought it was like a little switch up there based on like who was offering what. Whereas Dream's like trying to incentivize Constantine here because I feel like this Constantine that we're seeing on screen is far less willing to help than the one that we mm-hmm. see on the page. But keep on going, man. Okay, and I was going to say then, uh, speaking of that, she, jo- Johanna, realizes, oh, wait, I left this at my ex's house. Which mirrors what happens in the comics a little bit, because um, John's like, oh, I left it with my ex, Rachel. <laughs> yes, which and, is the same name of the, of yes. the ex character here. Although... The character rate of Rachel is very different in comics versus um, Mm. screen here that we're seeing here. In the comics, Rachel is described as being a drug addict, as being, you know, not necessarily the most pure, perfect person that Joanna describes Rachel as on the show here, that she was this uh, perfect person, perfect woman who never really wanted to get involved in the magic side of things that, like was just, like, her shining light. And then we go and we see what's become of Rachel. And I thought this scene was actually really interesting. Where Yeah, so she's having that interaction with Rachel, or what she believes is Rachel, and they're, you know, kind of in almost like this (laughs) dream-like, getting back together type scenario. And Johanna's... I want to say she's falling into it. Yeah, she's almost digging head it. first. Yeah. And I think that's really important because in the comics, it was a little different. They walk in and it's like the inside of the elevator that Burgess was in where it's like painted with like this, like almost uh, fleshy, like fleshy goo kind of thing mm-hmm. where it's so disgusting and so disturbing that Constantine and dream were like, or well, Constantine was like, Oh, what is this? And dreams like, Oh, it's Rachel. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow, like, what? What's going on here? So you see, like, the fleshy membrane, like, taking over the house and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely something out of your nightmares, but far less so in the show. Yes, it was more of a dream, really. And you do see the effects of the sand, which is just. Which in the comic was, you know, she would use it to fall asleep and to stay asleep and to have these amazing dreams. Uh, and the sand is kind of, that's its goal. Like, I'm just putting you to sleep. That's what it's supposed to do. And you see that that's what she was using it for in this as well. Because as we know, the dreams can be alluring, right? Yeah. Sleeping sometimes for some people is... They just want to just sleep. And so this is kind of that unchecked. Like, well, almost like this times a hundred because like it's all your fantastic like wishes come to life 
in your dreams. And so why wouldn't you want to live in a world of true dreams like that? Like, it sounds amazing. But it also sounds dangerously addictive, which is what happened in this case here with Rachel, where it looks almost like she used the sands to dream so much that she never got out of bed, let her body decay and waste away as she laid there in bed doing hit after hit of these sands. Sands. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you just see the, the, like you said, the effects on her body and the fact that she needed the sand to survive at this point. Yeah. It had turned yeah. from her using it to the sand just like consuming her and just keeping her alive. And so when Dream comes in and takes the sand, uh, it's a death sentence for Rachel and this was, I really liked this interaction between Johanna and him because this was important. You know, at the beginning, like, he just wants to get his stuff back and he doesn't care what happens to people, like, with the demon interaction. Like, I don't care if you take that person's body. I don't care if you stay here and torment people. Like, whatever. Yeah. As long as I know where to go for my helm. And then she's like, what are you doing? Like, what, like, help, help her help her and he's like oh she did this to herself whatever and johanna's like kind of pleading kind of like like you don't care about any of us you don't care about anything like and he's just sort of i could you can kind of see him sort of like reconsidering and thinking about this like what do i care about like what is the purpose of this and she's like you want to save all humanity with the dreaming here she is this is humanity correct and i think that is such an important thing to say because when you think about it dream is endless right and um he's been alive probably uh, a long time obviously <laughs> and he serves billions and millions of people who he've seen come and go and it, they turn into just a number right you know if that and so like a grain of now sand. he's yes now he's faced with this right in front of him and he kind of has, he can't just sit back there and look at it from like this all powerful being. Like he's looking at the consequences of the things he's made and he chooses to do something about it. Now, is it, did he save her life? No, but he eases her passage right. in a way that is very kind. Yeah. And I think that's so important because it shows that he can, he's starting to realize like, oh, like I can do some good and even though this isn't for everyone this is for this one person like i'm making things right it's humanizing him a little bit more than what he was before definitely agree with all of that i thought that it was a great way to to show a shift like you had mentioned before in his thinking and the way he perceived life and everything because to him he didn't care about rachel he didn't care if rachel lived or died but like, to be confronted and called out like that, to have Constantine throw it in his face, basically, that you're, you say you're doing this to save humanity, this is humanity, make your choice, save it or let it just fail. And so he did, when confronted with that choice, make the right decision to help Rachel pass in peace and have one last moment of happiness here, instead of, like, dissolving into nothingness, like, without his intervention there like she would have Mm -hmm. but that basically ends this episode here the last bit that happens constantine and um dream part their ways and everything and then matthew talks with constantine (laughs) being like let's (laughs) let's go to hell let's go to hell (laughs) that's it let's go to hell yeah that's funny 
Oh, also, we can't forget to mention, too, uh, with the Burgess, Jonathan, he outside meets... Oh, yeah, he meets Corinthian. Corinthian. And Corinthian's just like, hey, I'm just glad you're here and you're going to get that jewel. You go ahead and do your thing. You get rid of... Uh, you go get rid of Dream for me. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm going to help you out, man. Here, take the jacket off my back. Oh, I don't need it back. What makes me happy is seeing you out here doing what you need to do. <laughs> And yeah. just like Corinthian, Go ahead and, he is something he, else. <laughs> yeah. I do like that they had, because he wasn't at all involved yeah. in this capacity, but I do like that he is, because really, he would, when you think about it, like in the comics, like he would have known that Dream had gotten out, and he would have wanted to help people who were trying to stop Dream from getting his stuff back, because that's going to serve him the best, and let him to keep living his best life where he's finding people and eating their eyeballs and seeing what they see. And see, it's so funny with Corinthian because we've seen him without his glasses now a couple times, and you have to look closely to see the teeth. To see the teeth. And, like, yeah, like, you don't see, like, it's not sharp teeth. It's, like, a replicant of his smile up in his eyelids. And it's, like, you don't even notice it unless you look closely and see the little lines in between the teeth there. But, yeah, Corinthian seems like a cool... Cool nightmare so far. I, I and I enjoy his character. I enjoy Matthew, and I'm liking Dream. And despite you know the gender swapping of Constantine, I still enjoyed Constantine. So yeah, I thought that this episode had a lot to like in it. Um, I am definitely interested in seeing what happens in Hell now and how uh, Dimension Traveling Raven fares <laughs> in, <laughs> in hell, a fiery yeah. pit of Inferno. <laughs> Yes, it should be interesting to see what happens as we go forward. But uh, why don't, if you, listener, have any feelings, perspectives, or questions about the Sandman series so far or about this episode, please let us know. Yeah, love hearing from you guys. So with all that being said, this is Two Nerds signing off. See ya. Sayonara.